Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I know there are a lot of things you could be doing right now. A lot of things you probably should be doing right now. And yet, you chose to come hang with me here. I really do appreciate that, and I'm going to work hard to make it worth your while. Starting with a little moment where I try to keep it real with all of you, my teaching brothers and sisters. Let me just say this as a little addendum to keeping it real. I don't know about you, but I am exhausted. Here in southern New Jersey, we still haven't had spring break. And I feel like many of you had spring break about two months ago. So we are really trying hard to keep it together, not just the kids, but the teachers and the staff. I'm, as of this recording time right now, getting ready to fly to teach in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. And I'm really excited about that. But I'm also pushing hard to get a lot of things done. So I'm kind of just feeling extra teacher tired, as I call it. So I know you guys completely understand. So I thought I'd add a little extra to the keeping it real. But today I'm going to talk to you about something that is also as real, I think, as it gets for every teacher, no matter your subject or your years of experience, and that's lesson plans. I wanted to share something that makes me just go, hmm, as they say, more than anything. I mean, what is the deal with writing and rewriting and rewriting lesson plans year after year? If I do a lesson plan this year for, say, I don't know, introducing the instruments of the orchestra, theoretically, I should be able to look it up and do the exact same thing next year, right? But no, I find myself constantly changing what I've done in the past, sometimes almost completely. It's kind of crazy if you think about it. I had this expectation the first few years I taught. I would make lesson plans for a year or two or maybe three eventually getting the kinks out and then it would be smooth sailing for the majority of my career when it came to lesson planning. I figured, you know, maybe every five years, 10 years, I'd switch it up and do something different. Well, after about five years of teaching, a couple things were kind of settling into place as far as when I was introducing them in the course of the year, although even then still not quite as precisely as I had anticipated. But I still found myself totally scrapping lesson plans from the year before. Fast forward to 24 years in, and though I no longer totally scrap all of my plans, I'm still constantly changing them. I joke all the time that I'll know when it's time to retire when I feel like this year's lesson plans could be repeated as they are right now, next year, and I'll happily hand over the entire year of plans to whoever comes next. But you know what? (laughs) Even if I did that... I'm confident that whoever follows me is going to have their own ideas and is going to want to implement them in their own unique way. And well, they should. What's funny is it's even happening in the courses I'm teaching to teachers. No matter how many times I've presented first steps or conversational solfege, whether it's workshops or courses or conference sessions, every single time you will find me the night before at my laptop, frantically rearranging and editing my presentations that, no joke, I work on for hours and hours. I guess the bottom line is good teachers never stop learning, so it makes sense that we're constantly changing and refining what we do in the classroom. But I won't lie, it sure would be nice to never have to write a lesson plan again for the rest of my life. Okay, gushing alert. Now, 
let me preface what I'm going to say by saying I have genuinely enjoyed every person I've been honored to interview so far. This next person is simply a favorite, not just a favorite person to interview, but just a favorite human being and a favorite educator of mine. Chris Ann Powers has been a music specialist for 23 years and teaches elementary general music and band in Greenwich, Connecticut. Chris received her undergraduate degree in music education as well as her Kodai certificate from the Hart School, where she studied with Dr. Feyerabend. She holds a Master of Education degree from Sacred Heart University. Chris is a founding member of FAME, serves as the vice president on the FAME Board of Directors, and is an endorsed teacher trainer for First Steps in Music and Conversational Soulfish. She was a driving force in the adoption of Fire Robin's materials as the literacy portion of the Greenwich curriculum, and that is what we are going to be talking about in this episode. If you are using Conversational Soulfish, or you're thinking about it but wonder how you might be able to move a bit more quickly or it might be better to say efficiently through the units of conversational solfege. You are really going to learn a ton in this episode. So without any further ado, let's get to the chat. So I want to welcome Chris Powers. Yay. So Chris, you are kind of a queen of fire and that's how I always thought of you and still do. But now we're kind of co-queens together. Yeah, so really, you're the queen, of us. if I'm being honest. I think, we're, I think there's a big group of us. <laughs> but I want you to share with everyone how you came to meet John and kind of got into the fire and lifestyle. <laughs> it's a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle. Now. It's not a philosophy. It's, it's a, a choice. lifestyle. <laughs> okay. So while I was at heart, I was an instrumental major. Plan to be in band? Yes, plan to be an elementary band person. Mm-hmm. I took elementary band methods with Chris Zara. Okay. And that's where I was introduced to music learning theory. And that's the first time you'd really know. Is this undergraduate? This is my undergrad okay. degree, yes. Okay. So, and I was very fortunate. Chris Zara was my advisor at the Hart School. And I just really like dove in head first with this whole idea of sound before sight because it was the complete opposite of how I learned. Sure. But it just made so much sense when it was presented so sequentially in the framework of music learning theory. And I thought, this is a great way to teach instrumental music to kids. And this is totally what I want to be doing with my career. Okay. And then about junior year, I took the elementary... Methods. methods class. I now, think was that the first time you, like, had you seen John before I'd that? I'd seen him around the school, but, but didn't because really... I was an instrumental person, I really didn't have any reason to interact with him hmm. in any way. Okay. And then I remember, like, like it was yesterday, I was in the class and it was packed. There were probably 35 of us on right. the roster and we're cramped in that room. I think it's room 117. We're like right. cramped in there and... <laughs> sitting in these little chairs with the desks that right, the little, flip over. Little and it was super uncomfortable, but it was packed. And he just started with games and playing. And it was I just left there feeling so happy and right. so good. And I was like, this is an awesome class. Right. And I went back and week after week, we would learn new games, new songs, but we'd also learn the why behind, why are we doing all these fun games? Right. And I just, I remember I looked at him one day after class and I said, 
I want to be doing this with my career. I, t- I still want to be teaching instrumental, but I right. want to be doing this. So he said, you know, talk to the people who make the schedule and see what you can fit in. And then all of a sudden I was placed in the Kodai track ah. at Hart. And so even though I had already taken four semesters of sight singing, I then had to take four more oh, <laughs> semesters at 8 o'clock brutal. in the morning of Kodai sight singing. Wow. And then John's class, and then I had to take some some vocal lessons in addition, but I ended up graduating not officially with a double major in terms of, you know, choral and instrumental, but I had enough credits where I had a really good foundation right. of all things Firebend as an undergraduate. Mm-hmm. And how lucky was I that I had that experience and I went into my first job and I was like, oh my goodness, I have a whole like little back pocket right. full of all these activities and songs and games. And what was your first job? Oh, I was teaching in Stratford, Connecticut. Okay. I took a maternity leave. So this is a crazy story. So we graduated in May on a Sunday or a Saturday. I can't remember. Right. Probably a Saturday. Monday, I start teaching. Wow. I took over a maternity leave oh, in I see. Stratford. I thought you meant you had a maternity leave. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was like, wow, that was fast. That was fast. <laughs> I didn't even meet my husband. Um, no, I. so I had applied for some jobs. You know, at the end of senior year, you start applying, yeah. putting your name out there. And Stratford, Connecticut at that time was very heavily music learning theory. And I was like, okay, this is a great district to be a part of. And it right. really was. I loved, 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 loved my time in Stratford. So... I graduated and then I started teaching the job. on Monday. Was it an instrumental job or was it a no? Or... It was a general music job. All right. Yeah, a full time general music gig at Lordship Elementary School. And so I took over middle of May till the end of the school year. Hmm. And then they hired me full time. Wow. It was really wonderful. And I was at three schools on a cart teaching part general music, part instrumental. But wow. I was, but I was so happy. Yeah, I was just gonna say because I was, I got, I had a job. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you got to do both things. And I got to do both things that I loved. So I guess you know what we'll have another podcast talking about music learning theory and fire robin and kind of we'll just talk about how you migrated from one while still retaining, I think, the philosophy of the right. others. That's safe to say, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because that would be really interesting. Yeah, I because the, the two of them have so many overlaps. Absolutely. But some really pretty big differences sure. as well. Sure, And so you just kind of have to find the path that best works for yeah. you, I think. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Always interesting. And I learned something new. A couple <laughs> new things. Uh, all right. So we're here today to talk about something that's pretty distinctive that you do, not just you, but... Is it the entire district, Greenwich of Greenwich? Yes, Greenwich, Connecticut has a pretty, it's a pretty big district. We have, I believe, 11, either 10 or 11, I can't ever remember, 10 or 11 elementary schools, okay. three middle schools, and then one huge high school. It's yes. really more like a college campus. Right, right. And uh, so we have 11 uh, general music teachers that just teach elementary general, general music. music. What about instrumental? Just curious. Um, some of us... Uh, I think three of us do both okay. out of that staff. And then there's a whole other staff for elementary instrumental because okay. we have a string program that starts in third grade right? and a band program that starts in fourth grade. And mm. then it goes all the way through the high school. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, the thing we want to talk about is 
Something that lots of people ask me about, and I'm not an expert on this. Every year I'm like, I'm gonna try this next year, but I will do it one year in my free time. I'll figure out how to do this. And maybe after this podcast, I'll feel better about trying it. And that is Conversational Solfege, which is Dr. Feyerabend's program for teaching kind of independent musical thinking after a kid has become tuneful, beautiful, and artful. But you do something that's a bit different, and that is you do concurrent units, meaning you're doing units, two units at the same time. So first of all, that's a little bit unusual. Right. And you're doing a tonal unit and a rhythm unit at the same time. Is that? Am I saying that? Perfect. Okay. And so I, I want to talk about kind of when and why you and your colleagues decided to do that. Maybe a little bit about what you were doing before that and what kind of led you to, let's try this. Okay. Well, you know, a few years ago, we were up for a curriculum rewrite. We, you know, every district goes through that every few years, right? Well, theoretically, because okay. it's theory, been 20 years in mine and we, we're not up yet for ours. <laughs> but I'm not bitter. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, anywho, a few years ago, our curriculum was up for uh, revision, rewrite. And prior to that, I would say we did have a curriculum in place, but it was really more about music. Yeah. I remember us having these long multiple choice tests that we would have to give to third, fourth, and fifth graders Mm. about the instruments and identify which is a woodwind instrument. A, a flute, B, right. a tuba, you know, that <laughs> yeah. kind of stuff. And so it was more about music. Yeah, pretty old school. Yeah, but there were other pieces. Like we did teach rhythm syllables. We did teach tonal syllables. Okay. But I would say it was a lot less formal, certainly, than it, than it is now. Mm-hmm. And at that time when we were doing the rewrite, there were a few of us that had either studied with John for undergraduate or have done their master's with John. Um, or they have taken they had taken the fire up and experience where you can just be trained in first steps the two weeks yes yeah. the two week intensive course so there were at the heart school yes yeah. so I would say I think I was the only one who did my undergraduate with John but then there were two or three people that had done their masters there hmm. and then I would say another handful of people who did the experience great and so people knew of his work and I think a few of us just advocated to have this be the literacy portion of our curriculum. Our curriculum does have other pieces to it. We do have a Greenwich Symphony piece. We do have some folk dancing pieces. But the meat and potatoes, the literacy piece, is based on John's work. In kindergarten and first grade, we focus primarily on first steps in music. Um, And we call it the readiness, as the literacy readiness. And then in grades two through five, we really dive in to conversational solfege. Yeah, and we're going to talk in another podcast about this kind of deep dive into readiness, right? Uh, which I think is kind of crucial, seems like, to the whole thing. So you, so you didn't have a lot of pushback or anything because it seemed like your admin must have been good about it. I think it was really left up to us, the people who would be, you know... Administering it. Yeah, administering <laughs> right, the right, curriculum. Right. Our administrator at the time was a former high school band director wow. and really understood that world really, really yeah. well. Um, and I think gave us the freedom to really design the curriculum yeah, in a way that we wanted to. That doesn't always happen. Yes, you're right. We had to use 
this particular format in which to house the different pieces of the curriculum. It's called Understanding by Design. Ah, yes. Yes. I'm well aware of it. Um, and I think the thing that I found frustrating is that in Understanding by Design, you have to create these units mm -hmm. that have a start date and an end date right. and a specific time period. And the way we got around this whole period of time was that we just said it extended for the whole year. Yeah, that was I, that's how I do first steps. We have like a tuneful unit and it goes from September to June. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so we made it more spiral instead of unit. Right. Um, I, I would say that was the only frustration that we had to kind of fit into this box well, that the just, whole district was using. And I think that, well, not just music teachers, but I can speak to music teachers. You know, we're kind of constantly put in this position of a district-wide initiative, a statewide initiative that doesn't quite fit uh, what we do. But of course, we're always told that we're already doing it. Right. You know, that's kind of my favorite thing to be told. <laughs> it's like, guess what? Here's all these new things you have to do, but you're already doing it. <laughs> and I always say, then why are you telling us to do it again? Yeah, Understand by Design can present some challenges. But you can, as you have found, and we did in our district, you know, there are ways to work with it. It took, for me personally, because I was by myself trying to figure it out with my principal, it took like two years hmm. to finally say, okay, I think it could fit like this. Right. And even then, it's kind of like pounding the puzzle piece, you know. Right. But anyway. You know, the only other thing that I want to say is that I also feel very fortunate in that I'm not an island. Mm, I do get to collaborate with 10 other general music teachers Fantastic. and we meet monthly i was just gonna say do, how often do you see each other yes we meet um sometimes twice a month um but more often than not it's usually once a month for idt time which is instructional data team okay it's a dedicated time we have wednesday meetings so like the first wednesday of the month is our faculty meeting where the whole school comes together right. And then another Wednesday is our IDT time where we get to meet with our instructional data teams. Or like class, or like classroom teachers are meeting with their grade levels and yes, that kind of thing? Yes, exactly. That's fantastic. We don't do that. Yeah, so I do want to give a shout out to the other general music teachers that yeah. I get to work with uh, in this district because I feel very blessed that, yeah. you know, we have a really good working relationship and they're just really wonderful people. That's fantastic. And they have worked we have worked collaboratively together to to design our hmm. curriculum i don't want you to think that i spearheaded right, this. we that, really did work together as a team on that's it. fantastic yeah all right well here's what i want to ask you people will ask me you know oh can we do a tonal unit and a rhythm unit at the same time can we do more and i'll say you know i i can tell you this there is a district the only one that i know of and the only one that i trust telling you you know, I think you should use as a model is Chris's district in Connecticut. My question to you is, how would you frame this to somebody? Would you say, yes, it's been very successful? And why would you say that? Do you feel like what you guys did was a worthwhile endeavor? And why do you think that? Yes, I, I really truly feel it is worthwhile. I, I think the angle that we came from was that we see our kids twice a week for 30 minutes. And I know in some districts that's like a luxury, but I feel like it's just never enough time. Sure. I wanted to make sure that our kids in every single lesson that they had with us 
we're getting, for the older grades, two through five, we're getting, you know, rhythmic content and tonal content in every single lesson because I know that one of the frustrations that some teachers share is that by the time they get to unit four, which is the first... The first tonal, tonal unit in conversational social. Yes. So they're trucking right along. They're feeling right. successful. The kids are decoding. They're creating. They're right. writing. They're reading. It's wonderful. And then it's they hit a brick they, wall. They hit the wall. Yes. So in the curriculum that we've designed, we start teaching the Mire Do patterns all by ear. We do tons of Mire Do songs. We do them obviously in K and 1 as right. our simple songs. Right. But then they come back okay. in second grade as the literacy portion. Okay. So all the cute little simple songs that we gave certificates for and right, stickers and for, and they sang in solo, and it was great in, in first steps in K and 1, those songs will come back and play an integral role in developing the tonal literacy in these, in these children. When they're in the conversational solfege years. Yes, exactly. Okay. I don't know that I completely answered your question, though, because what successes have I found? Yeah. What I'm trying to say, I think, is if somebody came to you and said, you know, Chris, we're thinking of doing this. Is it worth it? And, you know, because if somebody said to me, you know, Missy, I'd like to use first steps, but I'm not sure, you know, I would say, yeah, definitely. You know, Mm -hmm. I can, without reservation, say that's a really good choice, even though I don't know your program. I feel that strongly. If somebody said to you, do you feel like this is something I should attempt, what would you say? I feel equally as strongly. Excellent. I honestly do because here's the thing. When you're teaching that unit four, Mi, Re, Do, the first tonal unit, as you said, to have a library of sounds that you have developed since they were in kindergarten. Right. And then in second grade, we spend an entire year just singing those songs, decoding those songs because they're our familiar right. repertoire. We sing the 4A patterns. We sing the 4C patterns and the 4D patterns. We decode them. We spend an entire year just developing those ears right. so that by the time we get to third grade and we slap a recorder into those hands... Right. They already have 16 songs that they can decode that are familiar to them. And they can play them right away. And they, you teach them three fingerings and boom, they're off to the races and they find instant success. Okay. Well, now that we've kind of gone there, we're going like understanding by design. We're going backwards. (laughs) Let's talk about just, and this is for a person like me. I'm so, I need like somebody to explain something so clearly to me let's talk about what it is that you do that's kind of a differential and i i want to say this is how so if from in my program in second grade theoretically the kids are tuneful beautiful and artful because we've done two years of first steps so then we start unit one usually in my school we do some review at the beginning of second grade and it's kind of a tuneful beautiful artful kind of a first steps light going on right and then we start unit one, which is due and due day or quarter note and two eighth notes. While we're doing that, the kind of nickel in the bank philosophy is at work, which is John's concept of we're um, doing at the rote level, the 4A patterns, and then eventually the 4C patterns and the 4D patterns, but always at the rote level. 
and that can go on all you know until we hit the tonal unit which for me doesn't happen until i guess third grade so here we're talking it seems like the differential is they've gotten this very rich prep time in first steps and then for the first year of second grade am i getting it right mm-hmm. and then the biggest differential is that you guys are decoding while you're doing units one and two of conversational soulfish. All right, so is that spot on? Accurate. Okay. So talk a little bit about let's say you have a new teacher and she comes to the district and she's like, I have no idea. I know what conversational soulfish is. Tell me how to do this. What are we doing? Yep. So I'll just kind of outline what yeah, we do in definitely. second grade. So as we said before, kindergarten and first grade, all about first steps, all about building those libraries of sound where we just, you know, inundate the kids with these really fun games that they get to play that are always going to come back later. And that's, I'm sorry to interrupt, but let me just, I want to make sure when you're doing that in kindergarten and first grade, would that look much different than my kindergarten and first grade? It's, it's just more, and we're going to talk about this in the, in the second podcast, you just maybe are more intentional with picking Mi, Re, Do songs. I'm very intentional in all of the repertoire that I pick. Sure. Not necessarily Mi, Re, Do, but do these songs contain the do, do, day pattern? Right. Do they have the do, de, do, de, do, right. da, de, do? I'm looking for songs that are going to represent the units that we've chosen to teach yeah. in our curriculum. I think that's brilliant. And that's why I think it warrants a second podcast talking about because for me when that was kind of a revelation when you talked about this generally speaking when we do first steps of course we're prepping for conversational solfege philosophically you know because we're making them tuneful beatful and artful or guiding them but when i heard you speak i thought it's so much more intentional i don't know why i didn't think about this but it was like why am i not doing more things with unit three concepts exactly in first steps years that I can just, it's just a time saver. But okay, so you're prepping during first steps. Yes, yeah, so we're, we're just doing all of the fun games that you would probably be doing anyway, right? right? So then we hit second grade. First, week, first couple weeks of second grade, we're playing games. Mm-hmm. We're just kind of reawakening the ears after yeah, a long been summer gone. A of A little Fortnite. hibernation. <laughs> <laughs> lots of Fortnite. Lots of Fortnite. Mm-hmm. So we're just reawakening those ears. We're playing lots of games. We're doing some folk dancing. That's when we really, that's when I really introduce folk, folk dancing. dancing. second grade. Second yeah. grade, yes. But then once I just really just do a dipstick check to make sure, right. yep, they're matching pitch, they're feeling the beat, we're ready to rock. Right, right. And so that's when we introduce unit one, and unit four at the same time. Okay. So over the span of second grade, the students will complete all 12 steps of unit one. Okay. Do, do, day. Yes. At the end of second grade, I would probably say in the late winter, I'm starting to do some more future activities for unit two. Okay. In our curriculum, it's designed so that we teach steps one through five of unit two because we just don't have enough time to get through all of unit two. So you're saying from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, generally speaking, your second graders are doing all 12 steps. So they're completing unit one. Exactly. They are getting halfway through. They're getting to the pinnacle of unit two, which is do and do dotty. Yes. It's in triple meter. And they're getting to the create stage. 
Am I correct? Step five, you said. Step five of unit two, yes. Of unit two. And and then you're going to talk about what they also have done for unit four. Yes. And so while those rhythm units are going on, we're only focusing on steps one through three for the entire year of second grade, yeah. Yeah. Um, working on rote activities, playing fun games, or replaying some fun sure. games that we had done bringing in the past, them bringing them back. Um, but now bringing them back in a new light. Because yes, we get to play this fun game, but then in a few weeks, we're right. going to decode these we're gonna do really with fun songs. And right. wow, do you understand how powerful this is? Right. That these songs take on a new life for these students? Sure. I remember John saying one time, and I'm probably going to totally butcher <laughs> his intent with this, but he said, I want to create this curriculum where particular folk songs come back year after year after year. But every year, kids dive in a little bit deeper right. with an understanding of these folk sure. songs. And I said, well, that's brilliant. Yeah. I'm going to do that. Right. And so, I mean, there's just so many songs that are a fun game to play in the early years, then can come back for a rhythmic purpose. Right. And then can come back for a, 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 a third time yeah. for a tonal purpose. Absolutely. So why not really capitalize on finding what gems those are? Right, right. And there's so many right. in the whole series. Uh, it just takes a little, you know, analysis to figure out which songs those are. Right. And then make those the crux of your curriculum. Right. Kind right. The layer, the foundational yes, layer. Yes. Yes. So I loved that he did that. So, all right. So they do unit one all the way through. Second grade. Yep. Part of unit two and in second grade. And then unit four we only work on the first three steps. By the end of second grade, and I can only speak for my kids at my school, sure. they will know probably 12 to 16 songs that they can sing and they can decode mm. in Mi Re Do. And the patterns? And the patterns. Awesome. The 4A, the 4C, yeah. the 4D. And I do assess them. You know I'm a little bit of an assessment nut. <laughs> That's great. There's a chapter about that. <laughs> um, but yes, we do assess individuals. Okay. We assess them with the 4A patterns, the 4C, and the 4D. Okay. So if somebody looks at my classroom, they're going to see, okay, so during the conversational soulfish piece, because every general lesson should have three, that's literacy, which is conversational soulfish, and learning something about music and doing music. So we're both doing that. Yes. And in my second grade class, let's say... As the second graders are working on, you know, Miss White Had a Fright, as they're lining up, they might be just rote echoing 4C. Let's say that's, I don't know, in, into October, or, you know, November. But in your classroom, what would be different? Not a darn thing. <laughs> it will probably look very similar at the beginning stages. Yeah. But I would say probably towards the end, or I would say winterish like early spring early spring we really dive into the decoding right and that's a differential it seems like you're going to step three yes right and you're doing step three tell me again what step you end at of unit four just step three okay so it's just step three so one which is just Fun introducing games. songs yep. and games two is introducing the patterns mm -hmm. at the rote level yep 
which is just echoing and echoing. And then you get through decoding familiar, which is really important to yes. do. That you get to spend all that extra time, which is really smart. And if you think about it, when people you know, in your classes say, I've had such success with units one and two. Right. And my kids are excellent decoders, excellent readers. They're, they can improvise. It's all wonderful. And they hit that wall at unit four. I was thinking, well, why are mm. people hitting that wall? Is it because in unit four, we're picking two pieces of repertoire right. at the beginning? And is that really enough is repertoire? So I wanted to pad that familiar repertoire for my students so that they felt successful and they had so many resources to pull from and they had such a library of sound. I keep going back to that saying, a library of sound. Yeah, repertoire of Repertoire, yeah. So I wanted to make sure I gave them as much familiar material as I could so that when, say they were unsuccessful with decoding a particular song, they might find success with a different different piece of... Yes. And you don't have to kind of go back and teach them a bunch of new stuff to make it familiar. You've already done it. Exactly. So we can just say, hey, do you remember that song we learned in first grade? Yeah. Yeah. And we got to rock the baby doll for Faye Dodo. Right. You know, let's sing that again and let's decode that one. And now let's decode it. And I think, you know, what's coming to me is it's not that what you're doing is so different uh, than the kind of format of like traditional conversational soulfish. It's that you're expanding it because, and I had the same problem when it finally dawned on me about the past, present, and future objectives. I was not doing that for a long time. I, I tell my students all the time, when I did my training with John, I just got to saturation. Like I couldn't take in any more information. And then he dropped the past, present and future bomb on Mm -hmm, us. mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, nope, I'm not even listening to what he's saying because my brain is so overloaded. But then what was happening was exactly what you're describing, you know, get to unit four and it's like, wait, why are we falling apart? And so John always says, you know, the rhythm units are so easy. The syllables are so easy. Uh, for the kids but when we get to tonal units now we're kind of adding a third layer we have like we have these pitch names that they're not familiar with so what you're doing is stacking the deck for yourself is that how you say it yep stacking the deck for success yeah and you're just kind of taking his concept and broadening it and just increasing the amount of repertoire really and i think that's great because i think that people will hear oh they run concurrent tonal and rhythm units and in their mind, it's like you're doing steps one, two, and three of the tonal unit and steps one, two, and three of the rhythm unit. And then, you know, two weeks later, we could walk in and you're doing steps five, six, seven of the, but it's not really that. No, not at all. How would you sum it up? Would it be what we're doing is elongating the preparation? That's exactly what we're doing. You know, John and I have spoken about this at length. Conversational solfege, the beauty of it is you're teaching kids how to learn yes you know you're kind of giving them this routine for learning so that even if you don't like we didn't get to 16th notes by the time they left fourth grade no problem they're going to learn 16th notes in in a jiffy because they've learned how to be musical and learn musically so a lot of times when people ask me about oh there's somebody who does tonal and rhythm units at the same time great how many units do they get through 
I'm always saying to them, I don't think that's what's happening. I don't think in Chris's district, they're going twice as fast as everybody else. What would you say to that? If a person said, oh, I want to go faster. It's really funny. In fact, I think it makes us go a little slower. Right. Right. In all reality. Because here's the thing that we really don't want to forget. You still just want to have those moments for the sake of having joyful music in your classroom, the joy of musicking. Yeah, right. So we still just do dancing. Right. Or we still just sing a canon for the fun of singing a canon. And you don't want to lose those moments either. Robin and I did talk about this. Robin Cheneau, my dear friend, and I presented on a session just on this topic, the joy of musicking, because Mm. we were so all in with this literacy part of our curriculum yeah, you kind of forgot that we it. lost yeah we, yeah we literally lost sight of that joy of musicking right and you wanted to and it was important to remember that we as john says you want to start with an activity that makes them so excited to come to music right. class and you want to end with an activity that makes them so sad to leave mm. and i really think about our less the lessons that i design anyway being like a, a hamburger so the top bun and the bottom bun are your doing and your doing. Right. Right? And then the middle, the, the meat, right. is your literacy. Right. And that's where you're focusing on your tonal, your current tonal uh, unit and your current rhythm unit. Right, right. But you still have to remember to that bun. Yeah. That glutinous, wonderful <laughs> bun, uh, or in my case, the lettuce, <laughs> um, is still... It's still really important to keep that piece right. of it. And because you have kind of committed to make ensuring that that's still happening, you're not zooming through units. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I think that's really important because it, it's pretty brilliant now that I think about, really think about what you guys are doing. And it's not overwhelming. It doesn't have to be overwhelming to the teacher to think, oh my word, like how am I going to do two units? Because I told you, every year I'm like, okay, I'm going to try it. But the more we talk about this and reading it in the Fire Oven Fundamentals book, what you wrote about it, it's like, oh, okay, it's not so different from what I'm doing. Because if you think of the past, present, and future objectives, we are supposed to be prepping for unit four and the first kind of tonal exposure for the kids. You're just doing it more over the course of an entire year right yeah and so how so let's talk about third grade what's happening now in third grade so at the end of second grade they've done unit one half of unit two and the first three steps of unit four yes so they ended with tonally decoding familiar things and they have this broad repertoire of tonal things you've got it so now they get into third grade so now we get into third grade and guess what there's going to be new students. Right, yeah. We don't have a ton of turnover at our school, so I should preface it by saying that. And interestingly enough, Hmm. I get kids from other schools in the district. Yes, that happens to us too. It's it's so fascinating. And you know what I love? The beauty of our curriculum is if they come from another school, they know the language in terms of the rhythm syllables that we use. They can decode. They may not know all of the same repertoire that I taught, but they really do know how to decode. It's beautiful. So we spend the beginning of third grade dancing and singing 
and just doing another dipstick right. check. Let's see where we left off. Let's right. see what you remember. And that's where those past units really come into play. So if I think about the lesson design of a third grade lesson, once again, we have that sandwich. The bun is, let's do a fun doing activity. We'll do our pre- a little bit of our present tonal unit, right. a little bit of our present rhythm unit, And then I leave a little time for either a past activity or a future activity. It depends on what I really feel the kids need. Sure. So I follow their pacing and or their needs. And then we end with that really fun doing activity. Now, the, the beauty of that is with the doing activities, they could also serve as your future. Right. Activity. They could do double you know, you could be double dipping. Right. You don't want to do that all the time. You don't only want to be focusing on future. Right. So it's important to do the things that are really going to extend them. Yeah. As musicians, you don't only want to ever be doing future activities. But if you did a past, like say I wanted to read Miss White Had a Fright. Right. Just as a review because it was October yeah, in yeah. third grade. And that's just a fun thing to sure. read. Right. Like, why not read that, but then end with something that could come back in a unit, maybe in the following year, in fourth grade. Right. So you're always just thinking one step ahead. Right. Which is really important because once you kind of strengthen that muscle, it really helps you to be efficient in your teaching. Yes. Um, Can you say where you get to about in third grade with the kids are you finishing unit like when do you kind of come into unit four proper or is it just kind of still spanned over the whole year so the beginning of third grade it's important to review all those uh tonal elements that we really worked on in second grade let's let's decode some of our fun games again let's just get that our ear going again but then it's, it's time to put, you know, your money where your mouth is. Right. Can you now decode something that is unfamiliar? Right. And I would like to say the majority of my kids, right out of the gate. Yeah. Find success because they have done this for an entire year. Yeah, and it makes we're, perfect sense. And we're not hitting that wall. Are you going to have a handful of kids that are going to struggle? Yes. You're going to find those kids in any class. Yeah, though. sure. It depends a lot on their aptitude, right? Right, right. It depends on if they were paying attention all through second grade. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, so there's so many factors, but I would say the majority of kids find success because we spent an entire year developing their ears. So over the course of third grade, the goal, is to finish all of unit four. Right. So yes, we'll do some review of familiar decoding. We go into our unfamiliar decoding. We don't spend a ton of time there because hopefully we found success and we don't want to make those patterns too familiar, right? right, right. right? We go into the creating and then of course the reading and the writing steps. And and at the same time you're doing, is it like the second half of unit? At the same time. So yep, at the same time we're finishing unit two. And hopefully we're doing all of unit three. In, th- in third grade. Yes. And, and you're also doing recorders in this year. Yes. And it's the perfect year to do yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. And when we teach recorders, you know, I know this has been a, a hot topic <laughs> on... Uh... Which one do you start? What, <laughs> what, what key, key shall you start in? <laughs> Luckily, I have some really 
computer savvy colleagues and we have transposed everything into the key of G. Yeah. That has a visual. Sure. I mean, there are going to be some songs, like I'm just thinking, um, go around the mountain. Right. You're not going to see those rhythms, but that's when you use the tone chart. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's so great that you can do that. Yeah. All right, so you're finishing unit four in third grade? Yes, you're we're finishing that, right? unit four. I'm going to be honest. Well, well I, it's about time. <laughs> well, here's the honest <laughs> truth. I'll always finish unit four. I'll always finish unit two. Okay. In third grade, the do, do, daddy unit, I'll finish that in third grade. And sometimes I finish unit three. But what we have to remember is that we have to follow the pace of the students. Absolutely. And while we have, yes, and while we have this wonderful curriculum document to guide us, I really just have to follow the lead of those kids. Hmm. There are years I can finish that unit. And then there are years where we're just not going to get there. Right, right. And that'll be for another year. Here yeah, we come exactly. back in fourth grade. Right. Um, I think the most important thing with conversational soulfish is that concept of, are they learning to learn? Yes. <laughs> you know, and there's no point in rushing them through it because it's just going to be an exercise in futility for everyone yes. involved. I think it's good for people to hear that we as teacher trainers, you know, we're not getting, we're not blasting through you know, units and, oh yes, you know, in fourth grade, we're finishing unit 10. And I only ever find success because I'm fabulous. No, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. No, right, 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 gosh. right, right. No, 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 no. Um, the, the thing that I do want to say though, is for people who get frustrated by unit four and maybe stop using conversational soul fetch because they're like, oh, well, this just doesn't work now right. because it's, it's gotten too hard. If you really spend the time developing the ear and you really spend a good chunk of time on unit four, every other tonal unit that follows goes so quickly because they get it. Mm -hmm. And I just want to tell that to anybody who feels that frustration with unit four, just stick with it. Please just stick with it because it's going to happen. And all of a sudden that light bulb is going to go off. And these kids are decoding things that nobody ever asked me to do until I got to college. Like, what? (laughs) Yes. And if you think about it, you know, if they can master this kernel of mi, re, do, really what they're learning is there are these patterns, you know, these kind of tonal patterns. And all you're doing is just like revealing another one. You know, now we're just going to add so to this. Now we're just, and it's since the foundation is so strong, those other things it's it's akin to the difference between unit one and unit two Mm -hmm. you know if they kind of understand oh this is the do and then this is the do day or Mm -hmm. the do daddy right it's like oh i i can kind of see this relationship and i think that must be so satisfying when you get to unit five which is the next tonal unit yes uh do you often get to unit five you teach till fifth yes our district goes k through five for um elementary school so in second grade and third grade, it's all unit four. Okay. In fourth grade, we do the do, re, mi, so unit, which is unit five. Right. And movable do. Yes. And then in fifth grade, we do unit 10. Oh, look at you. So each year we add a tonal element. That's great. Yes. Are you going like sequentially or are you just doing like the first three steps? I'm not saying that right. I know what you're saying. So 
so here's the thing with unit four we really broke that up into two years right because we wanted to develop the ears in second grade but then once we get to the reading and the writing steps by the time we're done with third grade in fourth grade we just introduce the new note right and then in fifth grade we just introduce the new note. Right. And so we go through all 12 steps right. within the course of that year. And that must be so much, not maybe easier. Isn't it just right goes a lot word, quicker. Yeah. I mean, and it's more intuitive need, for them. Yes, yes. And you don't need as much repertoire. That's why we spent so much time in those early years hmm. figuring out what songs were so important for them to, right. to really know. Right. But then in fourth and fifth grade, all we're doing is just adding that one new note. So right. it, it just speeds right along. Yes, there are... Do Re Mi So songs that I do prep in the early years. Sure. There are Do Re Mi So La songs. I'm just thinking of what I'm currently doing, like Bow Wow Wow. Right. Yeah, I'm doing that. In for, I'll, I will be doing that in first grade. But I'm going to be doing it again in fifth it's grade. It's coming back. It's coming back. It's coming back in fourth and it's coming right, back in right. fifth. But the beauty of this is because I taught it in first grade and I now have those kids in fourth grade who are learning the rest and I have those kids in fifth grade who are now learning the new layer of that, which is the do, re, mi, so, la. Right. Often teachers will say, well, isn't that repertoire too babyish hmm. for the kids? Right, right. I'll say, I, I really think it's all in how you present it. Absolutely. Because if I'm excited to teach it, and I'll be like, oh my gosh, do you right. remember that song we learned yeah, in first grade? Yeah, they always want to do a song. They always want to go back to it. And I make a joke out of it. I was like, all right, we're going to go back to our gaga goo goo roots. And we're like, okay, we're tiny little babies. We're right, first right. graders. Right. Let's, let's sing that song and let's play the game for Bow Wow Wow that we did as... And they love it. As, like what, six-year-olds? I can't believe I asked you to do something that hard when you were in six when you're right, six right, years right. old. Right. And then they're so excited to do it in fifth grade. But now let's decode it. Mm. Now a couple of weeks later, let's read it. Oh, now a couple of weeks later, let's write it. Right. It's amazing. And they can write it on the staff. Right. Like it just blows my mind. That's fantastic. Can you imagine? I couldn't do that when I was nineteen years old. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I think that's a, a good place to kind of wrap up. And we are going to talk a little bit in the next episode about how you are intentional, you know, in the first first steps years. And maybe you'll reveal some secrets of repertoire to us. But you got to be a FAME member <laughs> <laughs> to listen to that podcast, which we all hope you will uh, become if you're not already a fame member it's the cheapest uh, uh, membership right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're the cheapest no <laughs> no we are not <laughs> but anyway um so if let's just close out like this if you met somebody who did conversational solfege who has done it for a couple of years and they said you know i'm a little nervous what would you say to them oh i would say Take the time to really get to know the repertoire because I think that's key. Really understand the process behind it. And then once you feel comfortable with all of those, those two pieces, the process and the repertoire, then you can expand a little bit. Hmm. In the beginning, follow it the way that you're taught. Right. Like you said, when, when you hit that overload moment yes. with John. Saturation. Sat complete saturation this is all i can process right now 
Do that, do that much for a year. Right. And then go hear somebody else talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then open, open up your, your scope right. a little bit more. And then, you know, it's only taken me, what, 24 years <laughs> right. to finally, like, yeah, really yeah. start to wrap my head around right, this. Right, right. So I just think you have to be one of those lifelong learners mm. who's really open to other people's takes on how sure. it works. Yeah, I think that's so true. And I think that the more you study something, the more is revealed. Yes. You know, and it's exactly what you were talking about with the repertoire. You know, you can look at a song in first steps years and then it comes around again in one of the rhythm units and then you it comes around again yeah. later and each time there's a new layer. Yes. And I think a lot of the times with anything, but certainly with uh, John's programs, it's the same thing. Yeah. That plus experience, you know, actually trying to do this in your classroom, yeah. it kind of comes together. And I think... What you do is something that's very achievable for people. If they just kind of think, okay, here's what it is. It's just expanding the preparation, you know, the future steps by being more intentional with my repertoire choices uh, and spending longer giving them more repertoire. So thank you so much for being willing to share what you and your colleagues have done. Uh, I think it would be so fantastic if more and more schools were, you know, teachers were doing this with their students. Well, thank you. Wow. Every time Chris and I talk about what they do in Greenwich, I'm really impressed. I'm impressed with the thought that went into their plan and the efficiency with which it is accomplished. Did you catch the part that took me a few years to understand? It's not that Chris and her colleagues in Greenwich are moving twice as fast through the CS units. It's that they're kind of luxuriating in the first part of unit four as they also work on getting through all 12 steps of the first two rhythmic units of conversational solfege. It's that she's taking that concept of nickels in the bank, except they're putting like $50 bills in the bank. And it's really quite brilliant. I hope you get a chance to, as I often say, listen a couple of times. And then I would love for you to meet us on Facebook, on Twitter or Instagram, so we can all talk together about what we think about the things they're doing in Greenwich. Bonus, if you are a FAME member, we actually have a video lecture of Chris talking about this at one of our FAME of the Mid-Atlantic meetings a while back that you will really want to watch. And we are going to have an extra FAME members only podcast episode where we will take a deeper dive into how they do what they do in Chris's district. Now on to our Ask Me Anything segment. Today's question comes to us from Karen in Runnymede, New Jersey. Woohoo, Jersey, right by me, via the Tuneful, Beatful, Artful Music Teacher page on Facebook. Karen says, how do you handle colleagues that recruit you for help to teach a song, but it's not developmentally appropriate? Well, I think there are two possible scenarios that you might be referencing. The first is something like, hey, Dr. Strong, can you please teach these four-year-olds to sing The Greatest Love by Whitney Houston for graduation? In that case, I won't lie. Um, It's a hard pass. And I don't mind saying to my colleague that this type of song just is not appropriate or healthy for a child to be singing. And number two is not meant to be sung by a chorus of almost any type, much less one comprised of small children with delicate growing vocal mechanisms. 
So in that case, if that's what you're saying, Karen, I would just say no can do. As Hollenote said, I can't go for that. The second scenario you might be referencing is when a teacher asks you to teach a song that's going to ostensibly help them with some part of their curriculum, say a song for their science unit. This actually happened to me a few times in the beginning of my career, and I will never forget this nugget that John taught me a long time ago. My default answer to this type of request, and I want to give a shout out to my faculty who now almost never asks or never asks this kind of thing of me. But my default answer would be, okay, so you want me to take time during music to teach the song about inchworms? You know, I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to make you a recording of the song and you can play it in your classroom anytime. That way you can teach it to the kids while you're doing other work or when you have some extra time. In this way, I can control the key of the song and the musicality of the model through the recording that I make. And it's a one and done kind of thing. And so you're still helping, but you're not taking your precious uh, general music time away. And this is one of those win-wins or from the office, a win-win-win because it puts the onus on the teacher and you get to spend your time teaching great songs and games and rhymes and music class. And of course, the third win is the students. I hope this helps, Karen, and I know you, so I know you're going to keep fighting the good fight and providing excellent musical opportunities for your students. Well, it's time to say goodbye. This podcast is generously supported by the Fire Robin Association for Music Education. Please do consider becoming a member of FAME because there is a growing body of benefits for members, as I've been saying in the past couple podcasts, including the promised Star Wars move it, please visit firerobinmusic.org for more information. And don't forget, that's F-E-I-E-R-A-B-E-N-D and then music. I hope you know how to spell that by now. If you have questions you'd like me to answer or topics uh, about keeping it real or interview topic ideas or just general questions, please email the podcast at tunefulbeatfulartfulpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to find out more about Dr. Firerobin and his programs and resources, please visit giamusic.com slash firerobin. As always, guys, thank you so much for listening. I really do hope it was encouraging that you were provoked to think and that you found it helpful. Please tune in for our next episode. And until then, keep doing all you can to create a more tuneful, beautiful, artful world.